Welcome friend, I'm Rick Pasquale. Thank you for joining us today. I believe God has a word for you. I know God loves you and has a plan for your life. So listen to this live service and let God speak to you. I, I don't want to alarm you, but when I graduated from high school, I was a much thinner guy. You didn't have to laugh that way. So as I've met friends and gone to high school reunions, and met with my friends and people that haven't seen me for a long time, sometimes they, they look at me a little puzzled. And uh, we begin to have a conversation, and eventually I'll say, yes, my name is Larry, and you knew me when I was skinny. You see, sometimes it's that way, isn't it? We don't see someone for a while, and then when we do, they've been changed. They've been transformed. Maybe you've seen a young woman who becomes engaged, and when her husband-to-be asks her to marry him, she begins to go through a process of preparation. Maybe she begins to exercise a little more. Maybe she begins to lose a few kilos. Kilos, right? Kilos? Yeah, in the U.S., pounds. That uh, she just begins to go through this process preparing for her wedding day. She spends hours shopping, picking out just the right gown and dress. And then on the day that she walks into the back of the church and everyone stands and turns and looks at her, they're amazed at the beauty and the transformation of this now woman and bride who is coming to meet her bridegroom. Or maybe you've seen a teenage boy or a young man in his 20s who was a bit immature and kind of bouncing from one idea to the other. And he decides to join the military. And he goes off to basic training. And when he returns, he comes back. And you recognize that this young boy or young man has now been turned into a disciplined, mature man. There's been a transformation that has happened. Well, this month we are talking about the place of transformation, and we are using our focus, the Bible narrative that we heard earlier out of Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2. As we see the time and the account of Jesus being transfigured on the top of the mountain, and today I want to read a verse before and some verses after for our text as we look at Matthew chapter 17 and verses one through five. As we uh, approach the word, will you join me as I pray, Lord, we love you. We ask you now that you will speak to us through your Holy Spirit. May we clearly hear what you were saying to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm going to read to you this morning, beginning verse one out of Matthew 17. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, 
And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. This is an amazing story and passage of scripture. That Jesus takes his three closest apostles and disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he goes up on a high mountain. And uh, this particular story is recorded in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And each of them give a little different perspective. And one of them talks about that as the disciples become fully awake, that they see Jesus transfigured before them. So today I want to talk to us for a few moments about the significance of this moment, a place of transformation, a place of transfiguration for Jesus, but then to a place of transformation for you and me today as we see this passage of Scripture. What happened on that mountain that day? What happened that day when Jesus was transfigured and his closest apostles saw him in that state? First of all, the glory of Jesus was unveiled. The glory of Jesus was unveiled. Verse 2 says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Peter, James, and John heard Jesus as he called them to leave fishing naturally and become fishers of men. They experienced his teaching as one with authority, not like all of the rabbis they had heard throughout Israel. They had seen the miracles of his healing the sick, of his feeding the multitude, of calming the sea, of walking on water and raising the dead back to life. On the Mount of Transfiguration now, they see him as he is. They see him in all of his glory. Now the word glory is a Greek word called doxa. And this word means splendor, brightness, magnificence, majesty belonging to God and to Christ, the absolutely perfect inward and personal excellency of Christ. So Peter, James, and John, who knew Jesus well, those who had walked with him and spent time with him, they're now seeing Jesus as they had never seen him before. They're beginning to view him in a way they have never viewed him before. And I believe that later when the Apostle John is moved by the Holy Spirit to write the gospel bearing his name, in John chapter 1, verse 14, this moment must have come to mind as he penned the words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Surely when John said, we have seen his glory, he remembered this day. We have seen his glory. He remembered the time when Jesus shone like he had never seen Jesus before. You see, Jesus indeed was full of glory because he was fully God. Jesus was not just a teacher. He was not just a miracle worker, but Jesus was indeed fully God and the Son of God. Colossians 1, verses 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
So how was Jesus able to be transfigured and seen in this new way? It was because he is God. And the glory of God was shown. Have you ever taken a lamp that had a lampshade on top? And you turn the light on under that lampshade? You can tell that the light is on. You can see the glow of it. And as Peter, James, and John had been with Jesus and the other disciples as well, certainly the light of Jesus was being shed. But for most folks in that time, there was almost like this lampshade upon the light of Jesus. That even though Jesus was shining brightly and touching lives, there was far more to be seen than they had seen before. And suddenly it's like taking the lampshade off of a bulb. And now you see the full brightness of that light bulb. On the Mount of Transfiguration, on that mountain, the veil was removed and Jesus was seen in all of his glory. You see, we need to remember he was fully God, but also remind ourselves that he was fully man. In fact, we read in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, or four, verses 4 and 5, excuse me. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, this dichotomy of Jesus that he was fully God and yet fully man is what makes him so unique and able to bear the cross for our sins. You see, on that day, on the Mount of Transfiguration, maybe they rubbed their eyes from the sleep, and they said, is that you, Jesus? We've never seen you like this. We've seen you powerful. We've seen you mighty, but we've never seen you like this. The second thing occurred on top of that mountain was that the power of Jesus was revealed. The glory was unveiled and the power of Jesus was revealed. You notice in verse 3 that the Bible says that Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah. With Moses and Elijah. And uh, I can only imagine what the disciples felt or how they reacted when they see Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Now... Sometimes my imagination and curiosity gets the best of me. Sometimes I wonder, how did they know that was Moses and Elijah? They had never seen Moses and Elijah. I wonder if they were wearing a name badge. They said, hi, hello, my name is Elijah. Or, hi, my name is Moses. But supernaturally, maybe, if needed be, they recognized and knew that this was Moses and Elijah who were talking with Jesus. Now, what's significant about that? What's powerful about that? You see, between the fall of man in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, until the coming of Jesus, God had dealt with people through the law of Moses and the words from the prophets. That God had dealt with people's sin and helping them be in a right position with him through the law of Moses. Have you ever read the law of Moses? You read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Have you ever started a Bible reading plan, maybe at the beginning of the year, and you say, I'm going to read through the Bible? 
And you get into Genesis, and boy, aren't those stories great? In Genesis, you read about the flood. In Genesis, you read about uh, all of some of the, the great activities that happened with Joseph and his brothers. And then you move into Leviticus. And then you get into Numbers. And you start reading the law of Moses. I want to ask you today, how many doves do you need to sacrifice for the sin you committed yesterday? You see, you get into the, all of the law of Moses, and that's how God dealt with people. That if you sinned, you were required by the law of Moses to offer the right sacrifice at the right time in the right place to be made right before God. That's a lot of right, isn't it? Yeah. So God had dealt with the people through the law of Moses and through the prophets. You remember some of the prophets, right? The prophet Jeremiah who said to a nation, repent or judgment is coming. The prophet Isaiah who said in Isaiah chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. And that prophet of God, we know something about him. Isaiah had a little bit of trouble with his mouth. Sometimes Isaiah said non-Sunday words. You get it, non-Sunday words? Yeah, I'm sure no one in here ever says those non-Sunday words. But Isaiah did because Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. But he's a prophet of God. And then on this day, Elijah, one of the preeminent prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah, who stood on Mount Carmel or Mount Carmel, whichever you prefer. Elijah, who stood on Mount Carmel and called a nation and said, today, let's decide who we will serve, whether we will serve God or whether we will serve Baal. And fire came down out of heaven as he prayed. That Elijah, who represents the prophets, is now talking with Jesus. You see, here's the significance of that. Though God had always dealt through the law and the prophets with the coming of Jesus, with his perfect birth, with his sinless life, with offering himself on the cross, and then most assuredly with the raising of him from the dead three days afterward, now God is about to usher in a new covenant. God is now about to have a new way of operating and communicating with those who are his believers. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, for I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In every way, Jesus fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. You see, Jesus comes, and now God begins to shift how he deals with people. No longer is it about rules and regulations. Now he begins to deal with us in relationship. Are we accepting Jesus, the perfect lamb? Are we living with him? You see, Jesus ushers in a brand new covenant, this new relationship between God and man. Hebrews chapter 8. Verse 6 says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Verse 10, 
This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I love this part. I will put my laws in their minds. No longer those laws written on a stone tablet given to Moses. But I will put those laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. And I love this. How about you? I will be their God. <laughs> oh, we have to pause here for just a moment, can't we? He has promised in this new covenant to be our God. Not a God who is afar off. Not a God who pays no attention to our lives. But he is personal to us. When we accept Jesus and his sacrifice for our sin, he becomes our God. And we become his people. That's how we can cry, Abba, Father. That's why Jesus, when he was asked, teach us to pray, begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father. Our Father, not just a God high and exalted, though he is, but he is our God high and exalted who is also our Father. Would you just say that word with me? Our Father. Doesn't it feel good? Yeah, just say it again. This time make it my Father. You ready? My Father. Why can we say that? Because Jesus ushers in this new covenant. The third thing we see is the sonship of Jesus was affirmed. Now, I love Peter. How about you? I can identify with Peter because Peter had the unique ability to open his mouth and get in a lot of trouble. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you know someone who is just uh, kind of impetuous, spur of the moment, and you never know what they're going to say. But when they do, sometimes you say, oh, no, they didn't say that, did they? Do you know someone like that? Don't point at them, please. If you don't know someone like that, it might be because that person is you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my. See, I can identify with Peter, and here is Peter seeing this supernatural event. And Peter says, I have an idea. You would have think Peter would have just remained quiet and wait to see what's going to happen. But Peter says, ooh, 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 let's build three shelters. Let's commemorate this moment. And a voice comes out of a cloud and says, this is my son. Why don't you listen to him? Now, I put in the why don't you part. But I think that's uh, just because God the Father was being more kind than I would be. This is my son. You see, what happened on that mountain that day was the sonship of Jesus was affirmed. If it had ever been doubted on this day, God again affirms the truth that Jesus is his son. His son. The Bible tells us that Jesus is his son. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Not only did the Bible or does the Bible declare to us that Jesus is God's son, but Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus, knew that Jesus was the son of God. Now, ladies, I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine you're a young girl, 13, 14 years old? In fact, I, I, I met a few minutes ago a young lady that tomorrow turns 13. Wow. How many of you remember when you were 13? 
Yeah, I tell you why. Why don't you just say happy birthday to her, and then I won't embarrass her or part of her family. But are you ready? Let's say happy birthday. You ready? One, two, three. Now let's do it in Italian. Ready? One, two, three. That was good. Yeah. Can you imagine being a young girl, 13, 14 years old, and an angel shows up and says, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God, and you're going to raise the Son of God. Now, first of all, how many of you remember that Joseph didn't buy that story? When Mary says, hey, Joe, I got something to talk to you about because she was already, we would call engaged to Joseph. And Mary says, uh, she sent him a text. <laughs> and she said, Joe, we need to talk. How many of you know that when somebody sends you a text and says, we need to talk, you don't really want to talk, do you? <laughs> yeah, and Joseph says, okay, Mary, and they meet. And Mary says, listen, Joseph, uh, I know you're working to build a place for us. And I know we've been dreaming about our life together and what that will be. And, and Joseph, have you ever thought about children? We really haven't talked much about children. But, but, but Joseph, how would you like to have children? And maybe Joseph said, well, you know, I'd like to have some sons to carry on the family line and the family business. Maybe, maybe some daughters to bring some beauty and grace and elegance to the place. Yeah, I think children would be good. And she said, how would you like to have one in nine months? And Joseph says, whoa, time out. And Joseph is going to put her away. He's going to divorce her privately, not to shame her. How is she willing to go through that? Because she heard an angel who said, The child within you is of the Holy Ghost, and he is the son of the Most High God. How did she endure the ridicule? You, you know what was happening in their hometown, right? As Mary and Joseph walked right by, they say, Mary's been fooling around. Joseph should have taken her out and stoned her. You know what Joseph was hearing? Joseph, you're a fool. Have you ever heard of anyone being pregnant by the Holy Spirit? I wouldn't have bought it. And neither did Joseph until an angel showed up and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. For the one who is in her will be called Emmanuel. God with us. You see, Mary knew that Jesus was God's son. Luke 1, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The soldiers who tortured and crucified Jesus knew he was God's son. At the end of that fateful day, Jesus, who was beaten and bloody, whipped, hung on the cross, there to pay the price for a relationship with us. And those who had inflicted the stripes, those who had pressed the thorns of crowns on his head, who stood and watched as part of their job to supervise the execution, there in Matthew 27, we read, when the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, 
surely he was the son of God. Jesus himself knew he was God's son. Luke chapter 2, we get a a little glimpse into Jesus' life as he is growing up, and he's about 12 years old, and his family has gone to the temple to worship, and they left him. (laughs) Parents, when you leave today, make sure your children are with you, please. They left him, and they traveled for three days. And suddenly, Mary says, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? No, 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 I thought you had him. No, I don't have him. I thought you had him. Well, maybe he's over there with our uh, brother-in-law. Nope, not with the brother-in-law. So they begin to trace their steps. They go to the temple. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 that they come to Jesus. And he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? John 10, 30 says, I am, Jesus says, I and the father are one. Now, this was the problem for the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They were okay with him raising the dead and doing miracles. They were okay with him teaching the words from the Old Testament scriptures. But when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, they now have a problem. So Jesus is affirmed on the mountain by the voice of God himself who says, This is my son with whom I am well pleased listen to him it's an amazing story can you can you in your imagination kind of see this day on top of the mountain you see Elijah and Moses you recognize Jesus in a brand new way what does that mean for us today in 2019 I want to quickly give you three transformations that can happen in us when we see Jesus for who he is When we see his glory unveiled, his power revealed, and we recognize his sonship is affirmed, how does that affect and change us? Number one, seeing Jesus in his glory helps me believe. Helps me believe. Have you ever had moments where you wanted to believe, but you really had a hard time believing? Have you had those days and those times where you wanted to believe, but but it, it was a struggle for you to believe? Maybe believe in God's best for you. Maybe believe in God's provision for you. Maybe believe in in a miracle for a family member, a loved one, and and you're just struggling to believe. (laughs) When you see Jesus in his glory, you can believe. When you see Jesus for who he is, full of glory, fully God, yet fully man, when you see him in that way, you will believe. John 2 says what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee at the first miracle was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. If you're having a hard time believing Jesus today, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Will you look at him afresh and anew? And will you ask him to reveal his glory to you? You see, when you see him as he is, you'll have your faith increased. You'll begin to believe that if he did miracles before, he can do miracles today. That if he healed before, he can heal today. If he can take a little boy's sack lunch and feed thousands of people, that he can provide whatever we need today. We just need to see him in his glory. We just need to see him as he is. 
The second thing happens when we see Jesus in this new way is his power equips us for living. His power equips us for living. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Have you ever struggled to do what's right? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Have you ever had a moment like this? Lord, forgive me for this sin I just committed. I promise I will never do it again. And then tomorrow, Lord, forgive me for this sin that I just committed. I promise I will never do it again. And then tomorrow, Lord, forgive me for this same sin that I've now committed three days in a row. I promise I will never do it again. In Italy, is it common to do a New Year's resolution? That on New Year's night or New Year's Eve, you make a resolution for the following year? Maybe it goes like this. This year, I'm going to get in shape. And on January 1st, you eat healthy. You exercise. You do everything you know to get in better shape on January 1. Then comes January 2. You walk by the Panay Panay store, and inside you smell the aroma, and you say, well, just one will be all right. So you go in and you say, may I have a pastry filled with my favorite filling? What's your favorite filling? You ready? Tell me on three. One, two, three. Some of you didn't tell me. And I know you are going and you're getting croissants and cornettis and all those other wonderful things. And they're full of all sorts of good stuff. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to give you one more opportunity. All right, on the count of three, tell me your favorite feeling. One, two, three. You just don't want your neighbor to know you're eating it, right? Yeah, so on January 2, you say, I'm going to slide in, I'm going to get one, and you go home with a bag of six. And then that resolution is gone. The Apostle Paul felt something like this. You don't have it in your notes, but if you're writing notes, you might want to write down Romans chapter 7 and go read later. The Apostle Paul says, the very thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the thing that I do want to do, I can't do. He ends that chapter saying, oh, what a wretched man am I. There is within me this war raging. When I want to do right, evil is right there with me. Anybody here other than me ever had that struggle? Yeah. Yeah, but Jesus, when we see him for who he is, we can receive his power that equips us for living. You see, he gives us his divine power. Ephesians chapter 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for those who believe. You know what? I can't defeat sin in my life, but the power of Jesus 
can conquer sin in my life. I can't always do what I know is right, but the power of Jesus can strengthen me to do what is right even when it's hard. I, I want to, I'm running out of time. I, I want to meddle. Can I meddle? If I were in the States, I'd ask you, can I get in your business for just a minute? Let me give you a toughie. Are you ready? I know I should give the person who offended me, but they don't deserve it. I'm sorry. I should have asked you to pick up your toes before I said that. I know I should forgive them, but I just don't have the strength. I don't have the will. If you look to Jesus, you see him as he is, he will give you the power to forgive those who've abused you, who've wounded you, who have hurt you, who have maliciously said all sorts of evil about you. It is the power of Jesus that is resident within us that gives us the power to overcome sin. And then thirdly, his sonship gives me kingdom authority. Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, because Jesus is God's Son, he has given his authority to us. We don't have to live defeated. We don't have to live in a way that is less than God designed for his believers because we have kingdom authority through Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, I read you part of this last week. It says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want to pause for just a moment. Last year when April and I came, we, we took a couple of days and we went to Florence. And we went into the, the leather district in Florence. Anybody ever been there? Leather district, man, that is shops, leather, beautiful leather everywhere. And uh, April wanted to buy a leather coat. So we, I said, sure, great. If you want a leather coat, buy a leather coat. Now I have to tell you that we live in the state of Georgia not too far from the state of Florida. It is hot 360 days of the year. But April wanted a nice leather coat, so she bought a beautiful leather coat. And I said, honey, that's great. I, I was proud. I was happy for her. I, I bought a nice leather uh, duffel bag to, to carry things in. It was great. So, but, I, I, you know, we, we splurged a little bit on that leather coat. So this year, I, I said to April, I said, listen, last year you got a leather coat. This year's my turn. So this year, I want to get a Ferrari and have it shipped back to the United States. <laughs> she hasn't said yes. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. But if I were to get that Ferrari and ship it back to the United States and they delivered with that Ferrari a set of keys, but I never used them. I set it out by my house and people drive by and say, wow, that's a nice Ferrari. And they might say, listen, can, can you give me a ride? No. Nope. Sorry. Can't do it. But because I would receive the keys, I could unlock the door. I could sit in that seat, and boy, would I look good. 
I'd look good, and I'd turn the key, and that, that engine would roar to life. And I go flying down the highway faster than I ought to drive. Why? Because I have the keys. You see, some of us live our Christian lives. Jesus has said he's given us the keys, but we never use them. So therefore, we walk in defeat. We never use the keys of the kingdom, so therefore, we walk around just hoping that life will get better. And all the time, Jesus has given us the keys to the kingdom. And if we'll take those keys, and with the authority of Jesus himself, we'll begin to see doors unlocked. We'll begin to see lives changed. We'll begin to see his power flow through us. You see, this moment of transfiguration changed everything. John chapter 15, if the worshipers will come, please. John 15, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You think you found Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus found you. He said, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what do we do today? See Jesus and be transformed. See Jesus and be transformed. Some people see Jesus as a baby in a manger. They see all the Christmas celebrations and the babe in the manger, and that's their perception of Jesus. Some see Jesus as a prophet. Some see him as a teacher, a miracle worker. Some see Jesus as a victim hanging on a cross, taken before his time. Some see Jesus as a fraud, a lunatic, or at the very best, a man who was delusional. But I want to encourage you to see Jesus for who he is. Today, will you see Jesus as the resurrected, glorified Lord? Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, John the Revelator says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. That's who we serve today. Verses 17 and 18, John the Revelator has just described Jesus as he is in this resurrected state. He says, I saw him and his hair was white like wool. His eyes were a flame of fire. He says, I saw him and I fell at his feet as though I were dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. But now look, can we look today? He is no longer dead. Now look, I am alive forever and ever. Can you see Jesus for who he is today? Can you look beyond the pain? Can you look beyond the confusion? Can you look beyond the complicated life that we live? And can you see him high and lifted up today? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I don't know what's going on in your life, but there is a day coming when Jesus will return and we who are the beloved, the blood-bought, spirit-filled people of God, we will be riding behind him as he comes to make everything right. On one thigh is written King of Kings. On the other thigh is written Lord of Lords to the glory of the Father. That's who we serve today. That's who we see on the Mount of Transfiguration. So yes, the answer is, yes, that is Jesus. He is altogether lovely. He is the Rose of Sharon. He is the Lion of Judah. He is our Deliverer. He is our friend. And he is our soon coming King. 
Will you stand on your feet and will you give him some praise today? Come on, begin to worship him. Begin to worship him today. Hallelujah. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, for your... Today you've heard a word from the Lord, and I believe God has spoken to you. So if you say this prayer with me, I know God can change your life. They're saying it live here in Rome right now with me because God can change your life. God has a plan for you. I've told you that. And I want you to believe it with all of your heart. So will you say this prayer with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life this day. Change me. Help me, I pray, oh God, I'm going to live for you. Friend, if you've just said that prayer, I can tell you that God has just changed you and has come into your life. Now, I believe that today you may have listened to this and you've known that God already lives in your life. Well, God wants to speak to you and help you. So I'm going to pray a second prayer, and that prayer is for a miracle to happen for you this day. I believe in miracles. I know you do as well. So let's pray and let God touch you right where you're listening to this sermon. Lord, I thank you today for my friend that has heard this message. Lord, I know that they have needs and situations that's going on in their life. God, you're a big God, and you hear and answer our prayers. So today, oh God, will you hear this prayer from your humble servant? God, will you answer this prayer on my new friend's behalf? Will you heal them? Will you touch them? Will you guide them? Lord, come in right now, wherever they're listening, Lord, and answer their prayer. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. If you've just said that prayer and listened to that prayer with me, I know that God has spoken to you. Would you do me a big favor? You're going to see, scrolled on the bottom of this, a website with an email address. If you said the prayer that said, God, come into my heart, or today you're believing with me for a miracle, I want you to drop us a quick note and say, hey, pastor, I want you to continue to pray for me and my family. You know, God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I'll guarantee you, your best days are still in front of you. So God bless you and join us next week.